Today is the 21st of May, 2022. We've been chanting, bringing our minds to recollect the goodness of the perfectly self-awakened Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And these three are our highest refuges. And we have this deep respect for the Buddha, and take him to be our highest refuge. And the Buddha wished for us to practice, to cultivate our minds, to train our minds, so that they have firmness, that they are stable in the state of samadhi. And that's what samadhi is, it's the mind which is firm and stable. So when we have knowledge in our hearts, when we have understanding and right view, then we'll see that if our minds attach to anything whatsoever, that will be the cause for suffering to arise. And this is a law of nature. That phenomena, uh, dhammas, they depend upon other things to bring them into existence. And when the Buddha awakened, he saw this truth clearly within his heart, within his heart, that he could see all dhammas there that arose within his heart, whether they were wholesome or skillful dhammas, or unwholesome, unskillful dhammas, that all of them have causes and conditions which bring them into existence. And so the Buddha had this wisdom arise. He could see all things as anatta, as not-self. And through that insight, his mind became pure and again freedom. And he then became the fully self-awakened Buddha. And then he taught for all of us to practice. And Venerable Ajahn Chah gave the simile that it's like The Buddha was the owner of a fruit orchard and he went through all the effort of planting all the trees and they flowered already and borne fruit already. And so for us, all we need to do is walk into that orchard and pick a mango or a mangosteen or a lychee and then we take that and eat it. And it's not hard. But for the Buddha to develop his Bharamis and spiritual perfections, it was very difficult and very long. It's like an easy comparison. It's like um, comparing it to being like planting a fruit tree, taking that seed and then germinating it and planting it in the ground. And the number of years that it takes for that... uh, seed to grow into a tree and for it to bear fruit. But for us, all we have to do is walk into the orchard and pick a fruit and eat it. But that our minds haven't yet reached knowledge, they haven't gained knowledge, is because we have this delight towards the things of the world and that's obstructing us. And the reason we have that delight is because we haven't seen the truth. 
You haven't seen this noble truth of suffering. But when we gain this noble truth of suffering, when we know that, then we'll see that our minds don't yet have understanding, they don't yet have wisdom. And that's natural for all beings who are born in this world to be like that. And so a mind like that is, it has suffering in it. There's this feeling and then craving and clinging. And that's the causes for suffering to arise within ourselves. In order for us to be freed from this dukkha, we need to raise up the energy of our hearts to do this well, to be set. Because before we had done this, we'd set ourselves in our studies, in our work, but a higher way of setting our hearts, of bringing up this determination, and using that is to use it to train the mind, to cultivate our hearts. It's like how the Buddha taught us to stay within the present moment. And so if we train the mind to be here in this present moment, and we can use a meditation word to help with that, whether standing, walking, sitting, lying down, we're here with this body, having mindfulness in the body, and trying to keep our mindfulness there. And this is how Ajahn Chah taught. He taught his disciples in this way to have mindfulness. He didn't teach much about theory or from the scriptures, but his teachings were easy. Just have mindfulness. And also have this clear awareness, the sampajanya as well. He taught us to take good care of our acts of body and speech so that they are virtuous. But it's also normal for our minds that they'll get distracted. At times they'll be restless. That we're sitting in meditation, walking in meditation, their minds just drifting about. The mindfulness isn't there with our bodies. But if we've trained the mind that it can be there, just like how we've trained before in our studies, we've trained in our work, we've passed through many experiences and we've used this inner determination uh, to get through that. And so in the same way, if we train our minds to just be with one object, then they'll be able to do that and there'll be joy that comes up, happiness which arises within the heart. And then we'll see right there the benefits that come from training these minds. But if we don't yet see the benefits of that, then uh, we haven't yet been able to get to the point where we can relieve the suffering in our minds. But if we set our hearts, if we make them firm, we bring up effort, then one day we will, we will reach this peace of mind and see how it's pachatang, weditabo, when you hear. It's to be experienced individually for the wise. And that there's this inner contentment and happiness which comes up within the heart. And right there we see the results of this practice. The faith that we have grows and grows. And still there are things that distract us, that we get delighted in. And that's normal. But we also have this time to train our minds in order to make the peace that we experience deeper and deeper so that we can know the truth. 
For some practitioners, they're able to get their minds into a state that's nice and peaceful, <coughs> even to the point where <coughs> there's no feeling of any breath anymore. But it's also possible that they're using too much wisdom at this point, seeing into emptiness, but getting a feeling of discouragement within their heart. And that's not right. Because if we truly see into emptiness, then alongside that insight will be happiness appearing within the heart, that happiness through understanding the Dhamma. But if we're feeling sad or depressed, and because we see that there's nothing, that there's nothing left, and we feel discouraged by that, then that's not right. It shows that our peace is lacking energy, and that this wisdom is actually just memory. So we need, in that case, to come back to samadhi practice, to make these minds firm. It's like having an electric car that's low on batteries. And if that battery gets to low, depleted to a certain point, then the engine just cuts off. And so our minds are like this as well. That if they are lacking in energy, then there will be agitation coming up within them. And they'll become tumultuous. So the people who practice the Dhamma, it shows that there's this that they have this merit from the past, and this is a, a character trait that they've built up in the past, to have their minds set in this way. And even though sometimes we may feel peaceful and sometimes not, we take that as just being something normal. And we don't go back, we don't retreat. We see how the merits and baramis of practitioners differ. Some have a lot and some a little. The sincerity that we have differs, the effort that we have differs. But whatever the case, we take it that in this life we have the opportunity. We've still got this good opportunity. So we should use that to try to train our minds well. Having mindfulness there, taking care of the heart, and we can explain this practice in quite easy terms. You can say how it's like we're sitting on a chair in a house, and there's just one chair there, but we're the ones sitting on it. So if people come into our home and we don't get up, then no one can take that seat because we're there. And so then these people come in, there's nowhere to sit, so they have to go. So if we have mindfulness there in the mind, then the sense impressions, they can't gain entry into our hearts. But the problem occurs when the mindfulness isn't there. And when mindfulness isn't there, then we attach to all of the sense impressions that we experience. And there's these sensory experiences that we've had in the past, things about the future. And there's also this constant proliferation that's going on in the mind. And this is what prevents us from seeing the Dhamma. 
that we just follow all of these moods and sense impressions. We follow our feelings, we follow our thoughts. So we need to bring up this effort to keep the mind in the present moment, seeing this nature of arising, existing, ceasing here in the present moment. And then we begin to understand, begin to gain an understanding of this practice, that it's like this, that seeing the Dhamma is like this. We begin to see the Dhamma little by little. And then when the mind becomes empty, then it also becomes bright and clear and pure. And we see all things are not self. And things that have come together, uh, this kind of banding together of earth, water, fire and air, these elements that the mind attaches to and takes as being me, as being mine. But we also see how when these cells break apart, these bodies die, then the mind can no longer depend upon them or reside in them. And so it goes on and travels onwards following causes and conditions once again. So the awakened disciples during the time of the Buddha, the Savakas, they contemplated this and saw clearly into it. The great teachers of our age have contemplated this and seen clearly into it. And they've brought these teachings to us and told us to walk this path. But this is the path that will bring us to knowing, to seeing, to understanding the Dhamma. And it's not a path that's beyond our abilities to walk, if we set our hearts on it. In the beginning, however, it can be quite arduous, because we have these things which are binding over our hearts, and there are many of them. And they start off with Sakaya Diti, uh, this self-view, Svichikicha, skeptical doubt, and Silabhata Bharamasa, this attachment to rites and rituals. And these uh, fetters, then, they go on till we reach the fetters of ignorance or delusion, the fetters of conceit. But if we bring up the effort to abandon these three lower fetters of Sakaya Diti, Vichikicha, Silabhata, Bharamasa, then the fetters that are left are not difficult, and it doesn't take a long time to cut through them, to destroy them. What's important is that we change our views, this view of self, to see how the thing that we took to be self is actually just a collection of elements that go according to nature, that there isn't a me or a mine within them. And one who sees this is one who sees the self. And this is how Ajahn Chah taught. He said that we should see ourselves, which means that we see these four elements as being not-self. We also see uh, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana, this uh, feeling and perception, mental formations, sense consciousness, as being not-self. But these days, however, our minds attach to all of these things. They attach to this form, this body, and feelings, perceptions, 
thoughts, sense consciousness as being me. But if we contemplate into them, then we can ask ourselves, well, me, these things that I take to be me, and things that I take to be other, other people, are they the same or are they different? You see, in this body there's flesh, skin, blood, bones. But is my blood, is my bones the different, any different from other people's? The earth, water, fire and air that comprise this body, they're just the same, mine and other people's, there's no different. That if our brains are working well, then we can stand and sit and walk and lie down. And it's the mind can give orders and the brain will put those orders into action. But if some parts of the brain have degenerated already, then the body won't follow the orders of the mind. And that's because even the brain changes. This too is inconstant. And this is true for us. It's true for other people as well. We're no different in this regard. And if the mind leaves this body, then the body just, the elements of the body just go their natural way. They break apart. So if we can abandon the sense of self, when we see into the sense of self, and how this really, the self, it's not me, it's not mine. And by doing that, we see the true self, and see how it's just nature uh, following its own course. But we need wisdom to do this, to destroy the defilements. And for that, we need to train the mind to be peaceful, to come to stillness. And really for us practitioners, in general, we're generous people, we're virtuous people. So what we need to focus on is samadhi and mindfulness and making this mindfulness firm within the heart. And this is something that we should really give ourselves to, to not hold back, to not just seek after pleasure or happiness. And if we carry on practicing like this without stop, then one day the mind will need to become peaceful. And it's really quite amazing when it does that. Even if we're just talking just about this level of samadhi, this is really amazing what we can experience, that the body and the mind become buoyant. There's a sense of contentment there within the heart. And we gain the special energy of samadhi. Our faith grows, this faith that we're able to defeat the defilements. And the suffering that we experience grows less and less. The number of lives and becomings that we have is less and less. And as Ajahn Chah put it, there's no eighth life left. And before that, before that eighth life, then we'll um, meet with the Dhamma and attain to the Dhamma. And we will meet with this Lokutara Dhamma. And what's that like, this transcendent Dhamma above the world? When the mind is... Oh, sorry, all of us, we want to know what this is like, what this Lokutara Dhamma is like. So when the mind is peaceful, then there's joy, there's happiness, which fills up the heart. And the mind really comes together. 
And we contemplate and seeing the body as just a body. And through that the mind becomes light and it becomes empty as well. And we see clearly into this path of practice. In the beginning, however, it's like we're in a forest and we don't know which path to take to get out. We don't know whether we should go forwards or backwards or to the left or to the right. We're lost and it's dark as well. But we have a great teacher who can tell us, take this path. And we try to walk that path. And as we go along it, then the forest becomes less and less dense, and the trees become shorter and shorter, and the path becomes easier and easier to walk. As we carry on doing this, we carry on walking consistently. And then the defilements which cover over the mind become less and less, and they, their energy thins out, just like the thinning out of those trees. And then we can see this path with clarity, and it becomes easier to walk that path, and we gain this confidence that this really is the way that will take us out of this forest. This really is the path that will take us out of the defilements. So when we're able to keep our samadhi constantly, this becomes uh, firm within the mind and constant within the mind, um, we can get to this point, even though initially it was very difficult for us to bring up samadhi. But despite that difficulty, as we carry on practicing, then all we need to do is just bring mindfulness to the mind and it drops into peace. And it can become peaceful throughout the entire day as well. And then we look back over our practice and see how what we're gaining now is the results from what we've trained in from the very beginning. All those difficulties that we went through, that results in us knowing the Dhamma. That this knowledge of Dhamma comes from all of this patience, this forbearance that we've put in. So we forbear, we put in that effort, and then we gain that results. And we gain an understanding of this path of practice clearly. And just how the great teachers um, emphasize, they said again and again, stay in this present moment and watch the mind. Don't allow the mind to get into liking or disliking here in this present moment. And this is the path that will take you to seeing the Dhamma. When the mind is well established in samadhi, then we can contemplate in a way that brings up clarity. The mind can separate out the elements, separate out the khandhas. And it's like we go to another world. We see clearly into Lokutara. The mind abides above the world. And then we gain this confidence in this path of practice. If we're able to get to this point, then what's left is not difficult. We have a belief in ourselves, a belief in the Dhamma, that we can walk this way and that we're not going to get lost. But these days, or right now, we do have a belief, we do have a confidence And that confidence can be in many things. But usually it's a confidence in delusion. It's a confidence in our 
conceit, or it comes out in terms of conceit, and we can be conceited about many different things. But if this is a confidence in terms of the practice, then what that results in is a mind which is bright and light and radiant. So may we set ourselves on this, bringing up wisdom, bringing up effort. And if we can get to that point, then we don't need to push ourselves anymore. We don't need to force ourselves. It'll happen automatically. The mind will just go by itself. And we see that it's right close by. And really seeing the Dhamma, it's not something far away. And we have this sense of caution in, towards Sangsara and towards the mind, which is scattered and chaotic, and the things that make the mind scattered. And so we bring up our forbearance. We bring up our effort. And sometimes we have to do this for quite a while, but what that results in is this clarity and seeing that there within our hearts. That we put in this effort to contemplating sankharas, specifically this body, as being anicca, dukkha, anatta, something constant and stressful and not self, and we do this every day. And then one day, and then we just know this one time, and we see clearly into it, all our doubts are relieved. And we see the Buddha there within our own hearts. And what happens next? It's not hard anymore. The practice just happens all by itself. But initially, it is difficult, overcoming these first barriers of this self-view and skeptical doubt, attachments to rites and rituals. This is hard. And we really need to pull together our efforts and our faith in order to be able to do this and to not become discouraged. If we can do that, then whether monastics, whether laity, you can see the Dhamma and the suffering there within our hearts gets less and less. So it's like Lady Malika, uh, that she had 32 sons and a husband, and all of them died at the same time. But through her very firm and sharp mindfulness, and she was able to establish her mindfulness. And she had Dhamma there within her heart. Her heart wasn't shaken. And why was that? It's because Dhamma was protecting her heart. And even towards the end of her life, um, she offered this very special uh, piece of jewelry that was um, extremely valuable. And there were only two of these uh, particular types of jewellery. Lady Visaka had one, and the other belonged to Lady Malika. But she offered this to the relics of the Buddha. And this was just after uh, the cremation of the Buddha's body. And they were taking some of his relics. <coughs> Uh, to the Kosala kingdom. But she, Lady Malika, she um, was from Kushinara, which is the place where the Buddha was cremated, and she was traveling there from Savati. So on the way, she met with the uh, party who was 
carrying some of the relics of the Buddha. And so when she kind of saw this, and the Buddha had passed away, and she was sad, but she was also wise as well. So for us, may we set ourselves on developing Bharami, whether we're monastics, whether we're laity, we try to cultivate our minds. Trying to see all things as anicca, dukkha, anatta. And then through this, the mind will become weary with these things. And then it will become pure and bright and clear. And so may all of you set your hearts on this. <coughs>